Welcome to Lunch with Tech Leaders, where we have engaging conversations about software development and cloud engineering with industry leaders and subject matter experts. These episodes are created by the Great Lakes Tech Leaders, an online community of technology practitioners. Please come join the conversation by visiting gltl.rbn.ai. Again, that's gltl.rbn.ai. Now strap in, because we're deploying to production in three, two, one. All right, welcome to the latest episode of Lunch with Tech Leaders. My name is Ray Welker. I'm a cloud solutions engineer with RightBrain Networks. Uh, I'll be your host today, where we talk about the role of tech in climate change. Uh, joining me today is Derek DeYoungi, as well as software and data consultant, Tom Kowalski. Hello. And last but not least, uh, our business technology consultant, Joe Coleman. Hey there, folks. Uh, just want to throw it out there that if anyone has any questions uh, while you're listening to the podcast here, go ahead and feel free to uh, send them in the chat, and I'll make sure that they're addressed uh, in the order we receive them. That way we can really uh, dive in on that topic. So thank you so much. And again, today, the topic of the episode is uh, discussing the role of technology and climate change. Uh, we've got a lot to cover today, so grab your lunch and buckle up. Yeah. I'm excited. This is uh, one day we talked about doing for a while now, and yeah, it's finally come up, and we're uh, glad to have Zaven with us. If you want to go ahead and introduce yourself. Hey, I'm Zaven. Uh, I work on a variety of projects at the interface of ecology, environmental science, and technology since about 2016. That's been my focus, so maybe we'll get into some of those. Really happy to be here. Happy to have you. Yeah, great to have you. Um, so I kind of just want to set the stage, you know, climate change is definitely a hot topic right now. Um, you know, from the outside looking in, we can see all of the um, essentially the the associated uh, um, results of that, such as rising global temperatures. Um, just wanted to throw like a statistic in there since the late 19th century. Um, on average, the Earth temperature has risen approximately uh, 2.2 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, that's largely due to increase in greenhouse gas emissions, uh, like carbon dioxide, methane, and nitrous oxide. Um, and a lot of that, you know, stems from human activities, um, related to agriculture, our, you know, our consumption when it comes to fossil fuels and some industrial processes. Um, primarily, uh, I was interested in doing this as I was looking at, uh, AWS and, um, just kind of like an account overview. And I noticed they were tracking, uh, my carbon footprint, uh, for the services I was using. So a lot of that stems from like energy outputs of, you know, the resources that I'm using. And, you know, I just thought it was really neat. Um, it's something I like to try to focus on in my life as well. You know, what can I do to reduce my own, um, carbon footprint and, uh, you know, it's definitely something uh, I think tech can can help with. You know, Zaven, maybe maybe this would be a good you know place to start. But kind of what are the areas that um, you know we could use tech in to help reduce those carbon emissions? And you know, what are some of those main focus areas? Sure. I mean, it's everything, right? I mean, it it if you want to go like really big picture, the reason we have climate change is because of technologies in general, not necessarily information technologies, but those are contributing too, right? So all technologies, we, we like to say it's an everything, you know, all of the above answer. Everything um, can have 
a lower carbon footprint and everything can develop in a way that's more sustainable. Um, specifically, you know, I think the things that are going to have the biggest direct impact or the biggest direct um, relationship with the subject of climate change, it's really energy transition and adaptation, right? So we have to get off fossil fuels and we also have to build systems that are going to be adaptable to the new climate. Um, so that's carbon footprints. Um, you know, if, if you're looking at if you're looking at anything in information tech, it's just more, more efficient use of computing resources. Of course, changing transportation to work off electricity rather than fossil fuels. Um, but there's a big list there. And then adaptation-wise, you know, we need to do things like use less water, put the forest back on the planet. Um, create ecosystems that are self-sustaining so we get the benefits that uh, those, you can think of them as natural technologies, that those ecosystem services offer us um, that have been in place um, basically until about 100 years ago. So, I mean, like, it's it sounds as if we have a lot of data shifting us towards these more green processes. Um, what do you what do you feel is the main block or the biggest hurdle that we need to overcome before this is widely adopted? It's a, it, it really depends on um, which industry and which specific technology. So there's there's lots of little questions in every particular thing. But you know, um, one of the big blockers, one of the things that's exciting about energy transition now, right, is that renewable energy is actually cheaper than a lot of fossil fuels now. And we actually have battery technologies that allow us to start to use electric vehicles. So those have been, um, you know, kind of fundamental science questions that have been lacking there. Um, the next piece of it to adoption is just connecting people um, to these alternate sources. So let's say... Um, Energy grid management is kind of what that one comes down to. There's like some great companies out there that are helping, even even um, helping organizations like AWS change their energy mix. That's a big part of it. How do you get enough energy to run the technologies that you need? How do you know how to buy them? Um, how do you bid on those energies and those energy sources and set the right price? So I think that's one of the one of the really critical parts right now. On the, other, on the other side, let's go to adaptation though. So what if we want to put forests back on the planet? We have a huge deforestation problem. Forests, although they're not necessarily the, the, um, the only solution to sinking carbon out of the atmosphere, they're, they are going to help us. And um, they did used to cover most of the planet. And they also cool down the temperature as the temperature rises, they cool down the temperature on the land and also keep water on the landscape and keep water in the atmosphere. So how are we gonna put those back? And that's like a huge, that's a huge GIS data challenge, right? Where are the opportunities to put uh, forests back in to do planting? And then how do we do monitoring of those projects so that we know that they're working? Largely restoration, whether you're doing forests or rivers, it takes years to restore an ecosystem. And I mean decades, right? And so what we see time and time again is projects are started by this sort of like do-gooder mentality. You put some trees in the ground or you kind of plant something on the banks of a river and everyone goes away and they go back to work and mm, two or three years, it just all kind of dies back, you know? You have to monitor it over long, long periods of time. And so those are some of the technologies that I've been involved in the last few years. Um, 
restoration monitoring where we're taking pictures of trees, we're using satellite imagery to compare uh, change over time, or we put um, you know, in situ sensors into rivers. So we get these long histories of data and we can tell both that things like something is happening and we're going back and checking up, um, but also what worked. We don't always know what works when we do restoration on the landscape. So I think those are two those are two huge areas, but there's probably 200 things I could list. Yeah. yeah. The first one that you mentioned of getting it in the hands uh, of others, right? That, that distribution of it. And like, uh, like Ray brought up with AWS, allowing you to see and choose different options that have, that are better, right? More, uh, you know, economically or environmentally friendly. Um, cause yeah, a lot, if you're running your own servers and maybe may not have different power options, um, but if you're leveraging something like AWS and they give you those choices to, Hey, you know, you can use these servers here that are a lot more, you know, economically friendly that, uh, yeah, that is one way of, yeah, giving that power to, uh, to others to, to make some change. Right. Exactly. It's, it's like on the one hand it's, there's choice and then going with that is the feedback loop where you can see what your choices are doing. So you need your, to be able to track your own impact on these questions. You need to see how your carbon footprint, what your carbon footprint was, um, either yourself or your, your industry or, or your business. And you need to see how it changed. And then you need goals too and be able to predict. So of course, governments do that on the macro scale, but I think we all one way or another need to do that on all scales. Yeah, do you, do you, do you get the sense that we may need more government uh, oversight when it comes to maybe adopting these green technologies? I know there's like, you know, the the Paris uh, climate agreement, right? Um, like that that's kind of a international policy in place um, to move towards less carbon emissions. Do, do you feel like there's any need for more of that? And would that benefit? It's, it's a contentious question because not everyone thinks that the government is the way to get things done, right? But I think the, the best, and I mean, I, I kind of see all sides of it personally, but the, the best answer is that the answer is all of the above. We need that and we need individuals and we need uh, business leaders. We need everybody to get on board with sustainable living on planet Earth. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the, the, the Paris Climate Accords are awesome, but I don't really think that all governments of the Earth are really planning to abide by those agreements anyway. You know, they're only going to abide by them to the extent that they're either their electorate or their populace or or their um, their businesses. You know, and want to. Right. It, it, it's not really binding. You know. Uh, and if anyway, it's less than we need. Even even that wonderful agreement is still less than really needs um to happen immediately yeah so you know we mentioned the 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 distribution of you know reducing your emissions and and bringing that to to others but what can individuals or companies do to help with the restoration side of it right Uh, i know there's some projects that you worked on or you know maybe some others if you want to bring those up yeah yeah um that's a good question. I think, uh, you know, something that's um, been a hot topic in recent years and is really problematic, honestly, but 
carbon carbon credits, right? Uh, you know, companies buying carbon credits uh, to offset their emissions, and those carbon credits can be things like um, carbon credits generated by reforestation projects. So that's one of the the linkages to restoration that's at least been touted as a way for companies to contribute. And you know, um, it's not always been done right, and mm. it, it's also could be like really those companies need to do energy transition, not buy something to get out of doing it in order to have the right long-term long impact, but it still gets people thinking about it. I think, yeah. um, I think you know, more broadly, every company can be more sustainable and every company um, can cultivate a culture that values restored landscapes. So it depends on the company, right? But I mean, um, if you're if you're into industrial agriculture, if that's the company, uh, that whole industry is not really very engaged with agroecological principles. So there's a lot they could do. If you're talking about um, a small tech company, it might be more about what the end goal of the products that they're making are, or taking a look at life cycle analysis of those products, like what kinds of impacts do the services and materials that the company is using have on the landscape around them. So there's a more like holistic thought process that everyone can engage in, even if you're not doing restoration, um, or maybe you get together with your workmates and do a little river restoration on the weekend or something, but you're not doing that as a company, you can still think in a holistic way about the landscape um, and how you're impacting it. Okay. Yeah, are there are there ones that you recommend? You know, like you, you said, some aren't done the right way. Are there you know projects out there that you would recommend um, that are <laughs> better than others? Or? Restoration projects? Yeah. That I would specifically recommend. I mean, that's an interesting question. I think there's tons and tons of good ones. I, I would be I'm all sort of like hard pressed to like name just a single project, okay. but. Or is it like um, a directory or anything? Or yeah, I mean, like, here's a great project. It, like, so GreenStand, one of the um, one of the nonprofits that I've worked with, I was VP engineering there for a couple of years. We do um, um, big open source cloud stack and mobile app that does uh, reforestation monitoring with mobile apps uh, in a way where the people doing the monitoring who would be, say, individuals living in abject poverty in certain areas of the world they get paid per tree um, dependent on that tree's survival. So there's incentivization to reforest rather than to what, what's more common is you, you cut the tree down and you sell it for charcoal. So there's sort of a social driver to reforestation around poverty. So that project um, aims to resolve that. And then there are many partners who do the actual restoration work in certain areas of the world. So like a really great one, just to throw one out, the Haiti tree project, totally awesome reforestation project in Haiti um, that works in exactly this way. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's sustainable reforestation. You're putting, you're putting trees back. Haiti's interesting because um, it was only reforested recently. So there's still an opportunity to put the trees back in before the soil all washes away. It's a lot harder once the soil washes away. But there's yeah. tons. I mean, there's like, there's like 1,000 cool projects doing reforestation. Um, out there. I, I do see Adam jumped in. Uh, did you have a question, Adam? Yeah. Hey, thanks, guys. Thanks for uh, interesting um, conversation here. Um, I've always been fascinated by 
uh, technology and how it, you know, the potential it has to solve humanity's problems. So I wanted to see if anyone on the panel had done any research on, um, you know, carbon capture and storage technologies. I've seen a few articles that, you know, always um, have kind of like the clickbaity headlines that make it look like they've they've solved climate change through carbon capture. But then if you read it, it's like, you know, it's not scalable or, you know, you're you had to spin up a power plant to, to run this carbon capture solution. So um, I guess Zavin would probably be my first choice to answer this question if he has any thoughts on the actual carbon capture technology and if that is like a a piece of the puzzle or is are we chasing a red herring on that thanks i'll i'll leave the stage appreciate appreciate the response sure um you know i, I my, my personal opinion about it is that to really solve this if we were really going to solve the carbon dioxide problem um it's not just carbon dioxide it's also methane right the reason everything's happening faster right now than um than people thought it was going to is because no one accounted for the methane so that's the big thing right now in greenhouse gases. But anyway. And, you know, and methane is largely due to agricultural processes right now, like mass cow farming and our cattle farming, right? That's one of them, but it, it, it's a bunch of things. There's, a, there's also, um, unfortunately, as the earth warms, there's feedback loops in places like peat bogs and things like that, where okay. as, as we get warmer, the bog just gives up all of its methane. So that's there's yeah yeah exactly so um that's no good but anyway if we were gonna if we were gonna really solve this if we we're gonna really get the atmosphere back to a level that um we have been used to for many hundreds of years i think that carbon capture technology will have to be used there's just too much carbon going into the atmosphere we're gonna have to suck it down but the danger is that we focus on that now as though that's going to be the solution um, for, you know, right now or the immediate future. Because one, it's really not ready. Uh, definitely not ready, which I think is what, what Adam was kind of pointing out as he's looked into it more deeply. Um, and the other problem is that, you know, the amount of the amount of carbon dioxide that we emit into the atmosphere every year is is basically equivalent to burning a forest the size of Africa every year. It's an enormous amount of carbon dioxide. It's huge. You know, it's not it, it it's not really physically conceivable that we would be able to quickly just suck that up. It's a huge huge amount. The it's a scaling problem basically. So there's kind of an order of operations. Yes, keep working on the carbon capture technology. We're going to need that. That's definitely going to need that. But we got to stop emitting. You know, it's like we got to stop like right now. Just completely get off of fossil fuels. That's got to be the first thing because the problem just gets worse and worse every year in a in an exponential fashion. That's really some awesome insight. And um, I mean, you said you say it's a scaling issue as well. Is it also that the technology is just so new that it's a very costly pro uh, process? Does that have think, anything to do with it? I, th I think it's hard. It's 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 energy intensive. You know, um, you know, and it's you know, I'm not I'm not an expert in the specific carbon capture technologies. I've just bumped into them quite a bit over the years. But you know, you you need to use energy to take um, carbon dioxide and turn it into some kind of solid or you need a very special type of material that can hold it and then you got to put it somewhere uh, all of that takes energy so where are you going to get the energy from 
right? Right. Uh, you know, and, you know, okay, solar and wind are getting more and more efficient. We could have enough energy for that eventually, but it's going to be a big energy footprint. So we better plan um, for how that's going to work out. Yeah, so I think the, uh, you know, education and awareness um, is where a lot of, um, you know, how can how can businesses and, and technology kind of get started or it, it, hopefully we've already been started. But um, in, um, you know, doing doing their part. Right. So I think that kind of goes back to, Ray, what you were saying about, like, um, having metrics or, a, you know, you, this kind of came up because you saw AWS providing those metrics about um, carbon footprint. Um, yeah, it was there and in my face, and I was like, "Wow, this is very interesting." I think there's probably a, some of that has to do with like you know, probably something that we have to start reporting on, right? Especially for companies the sizes of Amazon. Um, but it, it's interesting that more of this more of this data is becoming um, available to you know smaller industries or um, you know just mom and pop shops, you know. Yeah, start including it right in their their offerings. Right, we uh, you know small little SaaS offering that you have. It's yeah, our ours is a lot less carbon footprint than our competitor. Even right? it's an interesting marketing material. Yeah. yeah, I completely agree, Derek. You know, I think I think from the perspective of the tech, the metrics are a crucial step that could be taken proactively. I think that. People in tech that care about this issue could advocate that in any advocate for that in any company. Um, I don't think that um, there there's certain things that are going to be hard to know, right? The carbon footprint of like even a refrigerator depends on the power mix that's being supplied to it, so it can be tricky. But there's other things that are easy to know, like if you are doing Bitcoin mining. You should stop doing that. It has a huge energy footprint. So those things are, that's just qualitative, you know, and those things can be talked about more. Just being more honest about uh, what, what about GPUs, any GPU training? That's very, very energy intensive. Um, you really got to take a hard look at that and determine kind of if it's worth it from the environmental perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, the, to to really make any difference, or I, I like to call it doing science, right? You have to have the measurement, um, and I think you're right that measuring um, your carbon footprint is is it's tricky. Like it depends on where you get your energy. It depends on you know what who made the product that you're using that and what what went into the um, those materials and processes, and um, so I think you know getting just starting to demand um, these type of uh, metrics from from like the the big the big folks, right, uh, is a good way to get started, right? Uh, I think it's really awesome that Amazon's providing that. Um, I'd like to see more companies start to uh, make so, these make these measurements available to us. Something I've always kind of wondered, and I, I'm all for yeah, move away from fossil fuels. I think that is you know, thing we should do tomorrow, uh, today, more importantly. Um, but uh, like the move to electric vehicles, I always kind of wondered the 
energy footprint that it takes to develop a battery and then the process that it takes to recycle that battery after that car reaches its oh, end. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. Which, you know, manufacturers would maybe put in front of me um because that's always a question mark in my mind. Life cycle analysis of 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 automobiles is terrible. It's just it's a huge energy footprint to just make the vehicle. Mm-hmm. Um you know, it would like what the real solution is electric trains. Right. And, you know, that, that's the answer. But those like electric trains, maglev, those technologies and those systems are very, very expensive and take a long time to put in. And this like modular vehicle scenario that we that we like so much is it's just so popular right now that probably the first step is electric vehicles. And maybe that'll help the or sorry, electric cars, and that'll help the industry get more um, centered around electric motors. That's the key, right? Because everything should be electric motors. Electric motors are very efficient, by the way. You know, like, uh, um, I mean, just in terms of energy uh, convert, energy conversion, you mm-hmm. know, um, uh, fossil fuel engines lose a huge amount of energy just to entropy and heat. There's a ton of energy that's just lost. It doesn't even move your car. It just it just warms everything up. Electric motors are not like that. Yeah, interesting that's point. Nice. Yeah, that is a very interesting point, and um, not something I've really considered as much. I mean, uh, I'm not an expert in the field. I, I'm definitely a consumer, but um, you know, having those metrics in in my face as a consumer, I feel like they would need to make better decisions on my own. Um, I did want to, I think Tom might have touched on this a little bit, but are there any like um, news sources or any, any, anything that you essentially follow that would maybe keep the listener up to date with, you know, uh, what's happening in terms of new technology being developed that's, that's green and sustainable? Sounds like there's a need for this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think so. There's definitely some newsletters out there. uh, I can't think of any that I'm subscribed to at the moment. I'm sure they're coming into my inbox as we speak. Uh, but I can I can try to dig that up and maybe post it in the channel. And what's um, I was going to say, what is what is something maybe small that the average person could do to help reduce their carbon footprint in their day to day life? Well, I think you know I I I wanted to I want to ask that by going back to. Uh, what Derek said about metrics, and then dig one step deeper behind that is just to ask the question. That's really like where we're at. First, just in any context that you're in, ask that question or ask the question, ask for the metrics, and then look for where you can actually find the feedback that's actionable. You won't be able to do that in all cases, right? In some cases, you don't have the information to make the right choice, but there is information to help you make the right choices out there and all the very specific situations that all of you find yourselves in. Um, so I think that's the most critical thing is just asking these questions as you go through your life and your day-to-day experience. As far as specific things that you could do now, you know, simple things. Um, eat less meat. Meat has a big carbon footprint. Drive less. Use your bicycle. Gotcha. Don't, yeah. don't use hot water in your house during what's called the duck curve period, that's at the end of the day when solar generation becomes less viable as the sun starts to go down and everyone comes home from work and turns on all their appliances at home. Really, that's the time of the day. Um, If you guys aren't familiar with this, the duck curve, 
uh, that's the kind that's the time of the day when you really should try to use no energy in your house. It's the highest carbon footprint, but maybe like depends on the time of year, right? But it's sort of like five to nine pm. Uh, everybody uses their house hardcore during that time, and there's no solar available because the sun is down. Later at night, there's also no solar available, but people are asleep. So those are three things. Just starting just start doing that, you know, that would be awesome. Yeah, that's definitely um. <laughs> Riding my bike more is one thing I used to do a lot and I would love to do with uh, my current living situation. Uh, makes it a little bit more difficult, but um, yeah, those those are great ways that the uh, you know average person can go about doing that. Um, we are getting close to our 30 minute mark. I just wanted to take a moment to, you know, let anybody uh, hash out any final thoughts that they had. I got a question for you. What are you, what's your thoughts on uh, diffusion? breakthrough do you see that as a something you're excited about right for reducing fossil fuels in the, in the future or do you see issues with it or is just still a dream I'm i mean excited. fusion would change everything you know i i will see if they can get it working at um like a product like production scales um and you also got to I, I actually not really familiar with what life cycle analysis looks like for those technologies. Obviously, it's much better than fission. Uh, that's one of the reasons we all are excited about it. But you still have to make these huge things. Um, and I don't I don't really know exactly what goes into that or what happens when they break. Um, it, like how expensive is the maintenance? Is it actually you know are we actually close to a truly scalable fusion? A, we've been we've been here before. Probably not right. Um, and even if we were to transition to it right now, which would be great, uh, we still have way too much greenhouse gas in our atmosphere. We have to, we have to get that. We'd still have to get that all out of our atmosphere. Greenhouse gas emissions now force the climate ten or twenty years in the future, right? So we're even if we stopped everything immediately, we'd still have to deal with that, and we, we can't stop it immediately because it's going to be a transitional period. Uh, so. It's more about the planning, I think, um, for once that technology is available. All right. Well, that is our 30 minutes. Um, you know, I wanted to, yeah, thank you, Zavin. Uh, it was a very, very informed um, podcast we had here today. I think you had a lot of great insight into all the, you know, all the questions that we asked. Um, you know, thanks to the audience for being here as well. Um, and I also wanted to, uh, yeah. For, for next week, um, we'd love to have you guys join us again. Um, our Vice President of Engineering here at Right Brain Networks, Derek DeYoungi, is going to be hosting that. Uh, and as always, uh, the episode will feature expert guests and interactive conversation. So be sure to tune in. Thank you so much for having me here, guys. This is awesome. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. Thank you.